Good morning, Orangewood. Good to see you. Good to be with you this morning. And it's always good to be with you and to worship with you. I was here last week. It was great to worship with you and to experience the joy of the Lord here with you. But I, I know you're, you're, you're looking at me and you're saying something's wrong because you're here. Well, sort of, that's true. Uh, all of us would wish that Pastor Tyler was here today, and he's not with us today because he got C-19. He's got it, he and Rachel. And if you didn't know that, if you haven't been praying for him, I hope that you will. And I'm gonna pray for him just here in a second. Uh, we all wish he was here, but he will be back soon. They're fighting it, and we need to pray for him and for the family and for all the rest of us in the family who contract that. So, hey, why don't we pray, and then we'll jump into the Word of God this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Right now, in a particular way, we ask that you'd be with Pastor Tyler and Rachel and their family and all those others in our family who may be afflicted right now with COVID. We ask for healing. Uh, we know that you are sovereign, large, and in charge. And we pray now, as we look into your Word, that you would use one who is a sinner and finite to communicate your infinite truth. Be the communicator here today as we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Everybody said, amen. Well, this morning, I'm going to have you stand with me in a minute to, to read the scripture. So that's coming. That's coming. Uh, but, uh, but I want to start out by saying that uh, Pastor Tyler is going to be starting a series. Uh, and actually, we're going to be starting it here today on the church on the Church of Jesus Christ. And what a powerful time and an important time it is. At this moment in American church history that we, the church, have an opportunity to revisit what the church is, what we ought to be doing, what, the what is it all about? After, after this experience in the last couple of years with COVID, oh my goodness, what I have seen as I preach in different churches around the greater Orlando area and as I deal with over 30 churches, men from over 30 different churches, I see how radically the church has been affected, how it's changed. It is a new day, and we have to go back to the basics. And so Pastor Tyler is going to do a series that will talk about, first of all, the importance of the church in Ephesians chapter 1. Then he's going to talk about the unity of the church in Ephesians chapter 2, then he's going to get to Ephesians chapter 3, and he's going to talk about the sentness, the sentness of the church. Uh, and that's going to be fantastic. By the way, the book of Ephesians really is the go-to book on the church of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Uh, you can go to the book of Acts, but the book of Ephesians is where the Apostle Paul unpacks how the redemptive work of Christ fleshes out in a powerful way in building the church, that's you and me. And so it's gonna be a fantastic series and hopefully we'll be able to start that series next week. Well, we'll start it today. But of course also, we who are followers of Christ cannot forget the powerful words of Jesus when he said, I'm gonna build my church and nothing will stop me, right? Matthew 16, he actually put it this way, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. I am in the process of building my church, and nothing is going to stop it. 
And this is a powerful, powerful image that, that, that absolutely grips our minds as followers of Jesus Christ. There are many different names for the church in the New Testament. We are called the people of the way. We are called uh, the saints, the holy ones. Uh, you may be sitting next to your husband today, ladies, if you're married, and uh, he's a saint. I know, I know, it's hard to believe, but he is in God's economy because of the work of Jesus. We're called the body of Christ. We are called the bride of Christ. Uh, we're also, in the New Testament, there's a very interesting statement here. We are the weak made strong in 1 Corinthians 9. We're also called the team. Uh, there's, there's the athletic metaphors that we see in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul uses. But then in, in Matthew 16, 18, when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he's using an imagery that really sees the church as an army, which is, which is a stunning uh, image or metaphor to use. The church as an army. And, and he, he establishes the reality that Satan, who is the invader from another, of another world, has come into this, this world. And he has set up a fortress surrounded by mighty gates from which he sallies forth out into the world to attack the world and attack the kingdom of God. He's called the prince of the power of the air. And Jesus, using that imagery of an invader who has built a fortress on planet earth, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail. The church of Jesus Christ, my people whom I've redeemed, are my mighty army who will win. We have won. We will win. We are winning. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, I know. I wonder if Satan ever has any lucidity where he has a moment uh, of sanity where he's able to sit back and look at the whole planet and see all of Christians at one time. I don't think he has that capacity, but if he did, what would it be like for Satan to look across the whole world and to see all of the people of God clothed in the armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, having all of these people whose, whose feet are shod with the hobnail boots that, of the gospel of peace that keep them focused looking ahead, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation gleaming in the sun, the sword of the spirit. What would it be? He must have... He must have a terror if he were able to understand the furious nature of the people of God united together to attack his kingdom that is going to crumble because of the resurrection of Jesus. So that's a powerful imagery that he uses as we think about the church and how important we are as our culture minimizes us it's important for us to understand how in the cosmic eternal scheme of God, you, you are crucial and a part of God's eternal plan. So we're going to look at the church a little bit, but let me say a couple of things, and I want to uh, piggyback off of what Mark and Nick said today. Uh, if you're with us for the first time and you're checking out Orangewood Church, we're glad you're here. Kick the tires, ask questions, look around. Uh, we're, glad, we're glad you're here. Come back next week, hear Pastor Tyler, all right? You don't want to miss it. 
Uh, and so, so we're glad that you're here. But for many of you and many faces I know and I see, you have been long-term faithful, committed members of this church. God bless you. May your tribe, uh, may your tribe continue to exist and grow because the church of Jesus Christ expands with people very much like you. And then some of us are cynical. Some of you are here today and you're a little cynical. Of the church. Maybe you're watching online and you're saying, yeah, I know, I look at the church and I'm not sure I want to be a part of this thing. Don't raise your hand, have you, but have you ever felt that? You look around the church and you say, man, this is a messy place. I know, it is messy. We're messy people. And you say, I don't know if I want to be a part of it. You've seen how the sausage is made. You've seen the soft underbelly of the church. And you go, I don't know. I don't know. I, I get it. I understand. But you know, the bottom line is we are a messy people who have been redeemed. We are messy. We're messy just like the people in your office. We're messy just like the, the ladies and men at PTA, parent, teacher, associate. We're messy just like the teachers in the schools. We're, mess, we're messy just like our government. But you know what? We're less messy than the world because we have the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. So continue to check us out. Now, I, I, I'm going to look at the text of Scripture. Some of you are saying, we're ever going to read the Bible? We are. Just a minute. Hang on. But uh, before we do that, I want, I want to tell you that when pa Pastor Tyler called me on Thursday afternoon and said, will you preach? It, I could... I, 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 I felt that heavy sigh of a senior pastor uh, ready to give up his pulpit for a Sunday. I totally understand that. He didn't want to do it, but he had to. And so um, when he asked me to preach, I looked back at a sermon I preached, the first sermon I preached. You have to remember, I was your Orangewood church planter on the east side of town way back before, well, right after the Apostle Paul about 30 years ago. <laughs> All right, and I look back at a first sermon I preached while we were still in the storefront at Redbug and Tuscaloosa. Uh, I actually preached that sermon on August, uh, on August 14th, 1988, before a lot of you were born. Um, most of you were born, not then. Uh, 33, almost, almost to the day, 33 years ago. And I started out with this story because we were just getting ready. We were going to organize as a church September 11th, 1988. And I preached this sermon because I was in a series with my people in a storefront about the purpose of the church, just getting started. We we're about ready to cut loose from you guys here at Orangewood, get out from underneath the oversight of the elders and get on our own. And uh, I told this story. A Russian, a Cuban, and an American businessman and an American lawyer were on a train traveling across Europe. And they had their own compartment together, and so the Russian took a large bottle of vodka, poured drinks for everybody around, and then threw the bottle of vodka out the window. And the American says, there's still a lot left in there. Why'd you throw it out the window? And he goes, you know, in Russia, we uh, have all kinds of vodka. We got more than we need, more than we can ever use. A little later, the Cuban passed out some fine Havana cigars and gave them all the guys, took two puffs on it, threw his out the window. And the American businessman said, for crying out loud, you know, the reality is that that was a good cigar. I know your economy's in shambles. Why in the world did you get He goes, we have more cigars in Cuba than we need. They're a dime a dozen. The American businessman's sitting there and looks over at the lawyer. <laughs> goes over, grabs that lawyer, throws him out the window. Man, I want to... It was a great day, I want you to know. Now, many of you saw that coming, 
But I told that story um, 33 years ago because I wanted to say to our congregation just getting started, I want to say this. There's a lot of churches, about 325,000 churches in the United States. We are going to be one of those churches that understands their purpose and their vision, and we are going to be a non-discardable church. We are going to be a church that is absolutely essential to this community. Now, why did I have that conviction? Partly because we were planting out of this church that was a non-discardable church. There's a church that had to understand its purpose and its vision that wanted to understand why God put them on planet Earth, why Jesus Christ put them in this particular niche at this time in the history of his kingdom. And I said, we can't be thrown out the window. You can't be thrown out the window. And that's why we have to understand the purpose of the church, the vision of the church, the importance of the church. Today, I want to talk about the power of the church. So would you stand with me as I get ready to read scripture, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, as we stand in reverence before the word of God, here it is, this is God's holy word, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. The apostle Paul says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for this reason, I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a great passage. Tyler's going to deal with uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3, and I'm dealing with that segment that really kind of follows up uh, what he is going to be preaching on. Um, and uh, so uh, this is the summary. This is the power uh, that we need to have because what the Apostle Paul is doing uh, as he gets to this part of the book, and we haven't gone verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, uh, so we're jumping into the text. And I want you to see uh, some of the introductory ideas here because the Apostle Paul starts off and he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason. And, and, and you know, when Paul says that, he also says it, had said it at the beginning of chapter 3. See, that was the amazing thing. At the beginning of chapter 3, he had already said, for this reason, and then he interrupted himself. And he got off point. Have you ever done that? You're talking and you go, I don't remember what I was going to say. The older we get, the more it's said. Let me tell you if you're getting older that there's a comforting email a friend sent me the other day. If you know you have memory loss, you don't have Alzheimer's. That's a comforting thing. 
but over 60, you're going to have some memory loss, so deal with it. That's the way it is. Uh, Paul interrupts himself. I don't know if it's memory loss or just uh, the Holy Spirit interrupting him, but in chapter 3, at the beginning, he said, for this reason, and then he went off on another tangent. Now he gets back to it in chapter 3, verses 14, and he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. What was the reason? What was the reason that he says, I bow my knees before the Father? I'm glad you asked because that's absolutely crucial. What the reason is the whole gospel. Because this verse that I just, that just read to you, 14 through 21, is the hinge part of the entire book of Ephesians. From this point on in the book of Ephesians, it's all about practical examples and illustrations of how we live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. But up to this point, up to for this reason, the Apostle Paul has been talking about what the gospel does, what Jesus actually accomplished in space and time and history with his death, burial, and resurrection. So he gets, to, and really, the gospel is put so clearly in chapter 2, and I don't believe Tyler is going to have the opportunity to preach on chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And so this is important for us to look at this, because when Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, and then prays that prayer, this is the reason. The gospel has brought the apostle Paul to his knees. And he talked about it in chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working among the sons of disobedience, he said, among, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show forth the surpassing riches of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. And then those famous verses that you all know. For by Grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. And so when Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, it's because he's, he's been overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of God. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve, and mercy is withholding what you do. The Apostle Paul is overwhelmed. And after unpacking that in the book of Ephesians, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. You know, the Jews didn't typically bow to pray. I know, a lot of churches have kneeling pads. You might have been from a church that had kneeling pads. They stood to pray in the first century, and they sat to teach. The rabbis sat down to teach. They stood to pray, most people did. But when the situation warranted, when they were touched by the holiness and power of God, when they were overwhelmed, they'd go to their knees. They'd go to their face, prostrate before God. And that's what Paul was saying. I, I, I am 
I'm taken to my knees like Ezra, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Paul is on his knees and he praises to God, the Father whom, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. You see, because in Jesus, we have a new name. In Jesus, the gospel makes you and me different people. We are still messy, I know, but we're not as messy as we used to be. I'd love to hear some of your stories. Afterwards, you can come up and tell me how you were messy. I'm seeing some smiles on your faces. I love it. I was, I was messy. I'm less messy because the gospel of grace has come in because there's been a work of God in my life and I actually am more like Jesus. That's the work of God. Someone once said to me, the evil one knows your name and calls you by your sin. The evil one knows your name and he calls you by your sin. Christ knows your sin and calls you by your name. What is your name? Beloved daughter. Beloved son. Child. You belong to the king of the universe because he came for you. And he accomplished what he came to do. To draw, and, and, and that's why he hasn't come back, because he's still got more people to draw in. His work is not done. Our work is not done. There's more people that need to come, that are going to come. And so, so Paul, with that on, on his mind, uh, gripping his soul at this hinge part of his letter to the Ephesians, he's probably dictating it to somebody. Can you imagine him trying to keep up with, with what he's saying? He's walking around the room saying all this and, and, and then he, he, he spouts this prayer. I pray that according to the riches of his glory that God may grant you to be, be strengthened with his power through his spirit in the inner person. This is the power of the church. Power of the church. That the Holy Spirit would empower us to accomplish the mission of Christ until he comes back but he gives three requests, and I'm just going to uh, wrap up with these three requests and look at these real quickly because they're so powerful for us. He says, I pray, first of all, that Jesus would remain real to us. And look what he says uh, in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Faith. He says, I pray that you may be empowered as people so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And some of you are saying, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. Christ is in my heart, right? And you're saying, well, he's it. Is, he, is this a call, an altar call to accept Jesus? No. What he's saying is that, yes, when we accept Christ as Savior and Lord, Christ comes to dwell in our hearts. What were you, do you remember that? When, go back. Go back when you accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior and Lord. What it was like. Do you remember? Um talking about memory. Do you remember? I remember driving to college. I accepted Christ when I was eight, uh, but, but I remember in college when it became more real to me, and I was driving to college, and I, I was drinking my coffee, and Jesus was sitting in the seat right next to me. I mean, he was there. It was palpable. Uh, I almost spilled coffee on him once. Instead, I spilled it on myself. I still remember that, uh, that day, but the bottom line is Christ was very real to me as he was to most of us when we first accepted him as Savior. It was like heavens had opened and he was there and it was true. And, and, and yet, why, why sometimes do we lose that sense of the imminent presence of Christ? 
that he's our Lord, he's leaving us. Well, that's what Paul is actually praying. He's saying, I want you by your spirit, by the spirit of God to be empowered so that that reality that you experience first on is something that you experience day in and day out. And I know we have the undulations of emotions. We go up and down. Some days you feel better than others. I get it. But he wants that daily experience of Christ to be so real in our life because when Christ is real to us, it changes everything. It changes everything because those people who say you're not worth anything, they don't mean much because Jesus says you are. And when you fail, you know that doesn't define you. When culture goes in a direction that just drives you absolutely crazy, and I'd like to know how many of you, don't raise your hand, I'd like to know how many of you are really close to insanity right now because of what our culture is doing. Some of you are happy, oh, you're okay, I'm good. You're more moderate people, people like me. I go to counseling once a week just to get, no. But I need it. I need Christ every week, every day. He helps me deal with the ups and downs of culture and life, uh, with the trials that face me. I, when Christ is real to me, I don't have to be the Messiah. Isn't that good? I don't have to be in charge. I can't fix it anyway. Uh, and it, it helps our, it, boy, and at every stage of life, we keep growing. So, so, so what, what is Paul praying? What is the power of the church? That the great mighty army that we are recognize every day that Jesus is real to us. Empowered, the power of the church is when the church experiences the reality and the presence of Christ. Secondly, he says, I want love to remain core to you. I want you to know that Jesus is within you, but I also want you to know that I want love to be core to you. And those of you who work out and do CrossFit, my daughter called me the other day and said, I'm doing CrossFit again. Ah, hate CrossFit. I mean, it's great, but it does core stuff all the time. And I hate core. But when your core is strong, everything else is strong, right? There's a little guilt for you, but it's true. And what Paul is praying is that when love is core to us, everything else is stronger. Because hate is not the primary motivator in life. It is a major motivator, but it's not the primary. And the most powerful motivator is love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is and when you know you're loved, when I know I'm loved, I am motivated to extend the kingdom, to keep up in a world that's very messy and frustrating. Uh, and that's why he says, rooted and grounded in love. He uses an agricultural uh, illustration and an architectural illustration. Be rooted and grounded in love that you may understand love, the love of God that he has for us in all of its dimensions, width, length, height, depth, to know something that Paul says is absolutely incomprehensible. The incomprehensibility of God is that we will never ever know him in his fullness. Isn't that amazing? That's how infinite God is. But day by day, bit by bit, we can know more and more of his unsurpassed love for us. And it is powerful. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
This is a command, brothers and sisters. I, I command you. No, I don't command you. Jesus commands you to be rooted and grounded in his love. Not what other people say about you. Not where you failed, but how the cross proves to you the love of God. That's power. That's power. Because when you begin to doubt yourself and when Satan says you shouldn't be preaching, Tyler should be up here. That's what I heard this morning. You just, you just get up and you go. You be faithful. Because the reality is God is so good. Here's the truth. You can only love once you've been loved. And then you can only love to the extent to which you've been loved. But you've been loved perfectly and deeply and eternally in Jesus Christ. And so that is so powerful. It's not sentimental necessarily. It's powerful. The mighty army of God goes forward when they understand that Christ is with them, their leader is in front of them, and when love is inside them, motivating them. And then thirdly, Paul prays, and lastly, when God remains the one who fills us. I love it, verse 19. And to know, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be, verse 19 be, filled up with all the fullness of God, I get empty. And that's why I have to start my day with what I call a daily appointment with God. I have to get filled back up at the beginning of every day so that Jesus remains real to me, love remains core to me, I remember who I am, and that I ask him to fill me, otherwise I will go out in the world to be filled. I will go out and hope my job makes me feel filled. I will go out and try and get the approval of other people so that they will fill me. I will try to use a substance or, or, or food or whatever to fill up. What do you use? Netflix, binging, I don't know. There's all kinds of things. We love... We're going to pass the mic now and have a little confession time. <laughs> but what I know is this. I know that it's so easy for me to try to fill up with other things. And that's the very thing that Paul says he doesn't want us to fill on. They say an army marches on its stomach. Uh, okay, I, I, I grant you on that. But the army of God marches on Christ within them. When Christ is with them, that love is core to them, and that God himself is the one who fills us. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. And I love that. Isn't this great? This is a great, and, and uh, this, is the, this, this is what creates an army of people. And you don't, think, you don't think you're this army. I know. I look in the mirror and I go, really? God wants to use this? You look at yourself and you say, we're going to change the world. Every element of government is turned against us. Every area of our society, entertainment, government, education, and, and I, I don't want to get some of you started because I could never get you stopped. We've got to end this in a minute. But, but when the church sees, gets that 30,000-foot view of themselves, when you and I get that view of ourselves, at every age of who we really are, God's deeply beloved, redeemed daughters and sons because of the work of Christ. And the Spirit empowers us to understand that Christ is with us, love is core to us. 
and that God fills us, we go out and we make a difference. We do our part. And Jesus ties it all together. Is this really possible? Yes. I've done a benediction for years based off of this verses 20, 21. I didn't even know the, all of this stuff I taught you. I did this benediction. And then I said, whoa, I should have studied before. Here's the benediction. I'm going to give it today. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Is it possible? Yes. This is possible. And Paul was trying to get the Ephesian churches to get back to this. So here's your take home. You ready for some homework? Here it is. Read Ephesians 1 through 3 before next Sunday. Three chapters? You've got seven days. You can read, you can read the third chapter before you come to church on Sunday. Just get up early. So read Ephesians 1 through 3. Get the feel. Get the picture. Go Get in mind where Ty, Pastor Tyler is going to take us as we look into the church, the importance of the church, the unity of the church, the sentness of the church. Read Ephesians 1 through 3. And then number two, be amazed. I want you to walk out of here today a little stunned. Be amazed that you're on the team. Be amazed that you're in the way. Be amazed that you're in the body. Be amazed that you're in the army. Be a, be a little bit amazed that you're on the team that Jesus chose. Really? I remember fifth grade, choose me, choose me. And I, I, I never remember asking Jesus to choose me, but he did. Be amazed that you get to be a part of this kingdom, this mighty army. And then pray this prayer. Memorize this prayer. I guess that's two applications, two challenges. Don't just pray it, memorize it. Let it become core to you because it's so powerful. All right. Let me end with this. Uh, Karl Barth was a, when I, when I was a young seminary student, uh, Karl Barth was the liberal that everybody was supposed to hate. Turns out he was a liberal in an extremely liberal Germany, and he actually brought the, the liberal church back a little bit more toward conservatism, a little bit. He wrote these 10 volumes, Church Dogmatics, and I always felt guilty that I should have read them. I mean, literally, it was just, I, and I, but I never was motivated and, um, but he was a great scholar, a great theologian uh, in many, many ways. And one time somebody asked him, Dr. Barth, after all that learning, all that writing, what have you learned? What, what, what stands out to you about the Bible? He said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves you, this I know. The Bible tells me so. And as you leave this place, don't forget who you are. God's redeemed, deeply beloved army of men and women he is using to extend his kingdom. The king is coming. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask this morning that you would enable us to allow your amazing grace to sink so deeply into our hearts 
and minds that it would not just be theory but practice. Lord, would you enable us to fully comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ it passes, surpasses comprehension that we might be filled up to all the fullness of God. This we pray for your honor and glory as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.